Oh my god, dude. Do you hear that? It's the swellometer. It's going off right now. You know what this means? It's time for the show. Well, I mean, it's recording. We don't have to. <laughs> You'll know when I start it. All right. <laughs> do I hit record or no? No, I think I just do it on my end. All right. Oh, a little stretch room. Oh, it just cracked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, like you get the. <laughs> 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 Oh, woke me up. I got some water Chicken. splashing it on the face. Okay, I'll give it a go. Okay. All right. Uh, what up, dudes? Welcome back to the Swallometer Podcast. This is Kevin. I hope everyone is having a saucy Saturday. I'm super stoked to be back. It's been a while i can't remember the last episode i made but i'm pumped to be back and talking to you all so let's get into it the vibes are strong i'm back at the beach house in jersey there's probably some mega waves today i think they're supposed to get up to seven foot so i'm very very scared i haven't said anything over one the past i don't know probably since january so we'll see if i still got those supreme shoulders to get me out to the lineup but it's probably gonna be more of a crash and burn if you know the feeling <laughs> And yeah, so I'm pumped. We have a very special guest today. First guest ever, I think, actually, on the Swallometer podcast. And he's really pumped with vibes and he's ready to go. It is world-renowned writer. <laughs> writer, he's also a musician, world traveler. His new book, The Lost Soul, the second installment of the Hoarding Trilogy is coming out June 1st, the sequel to Junkland. And he is here with us today to give us all about his new book. And yeah, just have some vibes and be stoked with us. Pat, welcome. He's also my brother, if you didn't know. Let's go. <laughs> Hello, brother Kevin. That was quite the intro. I think the best introduction I ever got in my, my entire life. Thank yes, you. Yes, yes, just for you always. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I am honored to be on this volometer. I'm a huge fan. I've listened to every single episode. And yeah, I love what you do. I'm here to spread some good, positive vibes with you here in. Uh, my piso in Peral, Spain, and yeah, it, it feels good. It feels good. Yes, yes, let's go. I guess we're going to start with a quick synopsis of the new book. Just give us a rundown and uh, maybe some details could provide, but obviously no spoilers because you know we don't want to go too far into it. Well, it's hard. I like everyone keeps asking me, "Oh, give me a little synopsis of uh, of uh, the sequel." Like, oh, well, tell me what's about. But it's just like. 
if I tell you what it's about, it's going to give away everything from the first book. So it's like, <laughs> what am I supposed to say? Oh yeah, it's 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 what happens next. That's it. That's all I can say about it. It's yeah, it's what happens after the first one. Read the first one and <laughs> read the second. I can't I can't reveal real reveal too much of it, but um. Yeah, anyway, so those who don't know about the Hoarding series, the Hoarding series is fantasy, but my fans have actually labeled it fairy, fairy tale fantasy, which was exactly what I was aiming for, since a big influence behind writing Junkland was Disney movies. Uh, for those of you who know me, I love all fairy tale Disney movies, and I wanted to write something more for an older audience, a little bit beyond PG, maybe a little PG 13, <laughs> a little, little R rated. <laughs> Maybe not that far. But anyway, the Hoarding series begins with Junk Lamb, which is about a young boy named Jarvis Grant who works in his father's shop just outside the castle walls, and he hates it, everything about it. Jarvis daydreams about becoming a knight, saving princesses, and defeating cruel kings. He believes that a knight fears nothing until the Hoarding comes to Astonpool, and Jarvis experiences fear firsthand when his home is destroyed by hoarders. And these hoarders, they come down from the Western Mountains, a giant mountain range, which no one has ever crossed before. And the people of Astonpool, they do not know what lies on the other side. And the hoarders attack the kingdom with laser-like guns called captors, sucking up everything into captor packs. They kind of look like uh, what the Ghostbusters use, but instead of sucking up ghosts, the hoarders use these captor packs to process some kind of energy from all of the material they suck up from the captors, including humans, animals, doors, debris, everything. So once they process all the energy from the material, the hoarders shoot, um, shoot, the, shoot it back out, compressed in the form of a block. And over time, these blocks are stacked up to make walls, which eventually forms a junk land, kind of like the world that Wally lives in. And meanwhile, the king of Astonpool, he shuts the gates of the castle and he abandons Jars and many others outside the castle walls to fend for themselves with the hoarders. And in order to make an attempt to help his people, the king sets up retrieval stations along the castle walls where survivors outside the castle go to be assigned a job. And these jobs consist of retrieving something beyond the castle walls in a junk land for inhabitants inside the castle and in return is granted a reward usually something to help survive out in the junk land. And Jars is forced to become one of these retrievers as he's one of the inhabitants um, uh, abandoned outside the castle walls by the king. And, but when one mission puts Jars and his friends in danger, he realizes the only way to stop the hoarding is to get into the castle and find the mysterious princess he had fallen in love with three years prior. And uh, the overall mystery of the series is figuring out who these hoarders are, where they came from, what really lies over the Western Mountains, and why these hoarders are collecting and processing energy, hence the hoarding. And uh, yeah, and book two kind of um, go, you know, follows the story, obviously. <laughs> but <laughs> the big difference is I think Junkland is mainly has a very like Disney type of vibe, fairy tale type of vibe, but the Lost Soul kind of has more of like an epic fantasy vibe. Like uh like growing in a way, right? So it goes from like uh kind of more of like an individual hero type story. Now it's kind of growing into more of a I guess an impressive fantasy adventure. No, no, exactly. Like the Lost 
the junk land focuses mainly on jars. There's other point of view characters. There's the point of view of a princess, of a knight, but it kind of follows one linear story. Like all the characters are on the same line, on the same story. With the Lost Soul, the characters go from this linear story and they all break off into their own paths. So the story kind of became more or less three stories and all verging off onto their own adventures. And later on in book three, I'm gonna to have to obviously connect it all. But um, yeah, so the world definitely gets more expansive. The, uh, the characters get more in depth. I think The Lost Soul is a darker story. <laughs> I think uh, a lot of my beta readers reading it were like, wow, Pat, that was one dark story. There's one like happy party scene and then they're like, I'm so thrilled that there was just a moment of happiness in the story because yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely darker. Um, there, hence, uh, hence the name. Is there a specific reason why you think it has a bit of a darker tone, or why it's gone in that direction? Oh, what a what a deep deep question. <laughs> oh, the deep cues. Getting <laughs> <laughs> right into the into the meat. Um, I do actually. I do. It took me a while to discover this answer, but after some heavy reflecting the past few days, um, I think Junkland reflects. Uh, both books actually reflect me in a way. Uh, Jarus in the first book, he works for his father in his father's shop and he hates it and he daydreams of becoming a knight. And that's kind of reflects my situation. I, after university, I graduate with an engineering and math degree. Thank and you. after university, <laughs> this is totally opposite of what writers study, I guess. But um, I worked for three years at a large engineering firm outside of Washington, DC. And it wasn't for me. I didn't like this job. I wanted to do something different. And I, that's how I discovered how I wanted to be a writer. And I wanted to you know, find the life that I deserved that I wanted to live. So I think when I wrote Junkland, that kind of reflected um, into the character while I wrote him. It was kind of like what I was going through. And now with The Lost Soul, um, Jarus, he kind of, he achieved what he wanted of becoming a hero. And now he kind of realizes that that's not exactly what he needs. He achieved it, but that's not exactly what he needed in his life. And now the lost soul, um, kind of like the name, uh, the lost soul is something in the book, obviously, but also like as a metaphor of, you know, he's lost in his own life. He achieved becoming a hero, but now he, it's not what he needs. He needs to discover who he truly is. But um yeah, now like the, the book takes him on a journey of discovering his true purpose of who he really is. And it kind of reflects myself also. After I moved to Spain, I kind of went through the same thing. Like I pursued the life of being a writer. And now that I could reflect on my life through different eyes outside of, you know, my, my engineering job, outside of the life I lived in the United States, I could reflect on my life a little more and see it through different eyes and now start to think about, okay, what, what's my purpose in life? Where do I wanna be? Who do I wanna be? And, and yeah, so it definitely has some parallel with what I'm going through. I think it's definitely a lot of uh, like stuff that people can relate to for sure. I think it'll be <laughs> a good reason. Just, yeah, I mean, just cause a lot of people, even if they feel like they haven't figured it out sometimes, like things come around and you don't really know like if you're in on the right path or doing or doing something that goes in the right direction things can switch so quickly that 
you might want to do something else. And like, I know I've experienced that and there's other people out there who feel the same way. So maybe having a story with those, well, obviously like your story with having those undertones and that theme will uh, be something positive for people to read. And obviously having this huge fantasy adventure on top of it will be a uh, pretty impressive storyline to follow. So what you're saying is reading the Horton series will change lives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right here, folks. It's going to change the world. You better get on it and read this on June 1st and you know the vibes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny, though. Like, uh, I think what I like most about writing is the people who reach out to me who, um, who tell me, like, wow, Pat, you influenced me to quit my job and move to Spain. You influenced me to quit my job and pursue, pursue winemaking or, or pursue my tea business or things like that. And I'm like, wow that uh i i have some power that's kind of what it feels like like i don't know like seeing all you guys do all this like as i was going through college and graduating and just it made me feel like oh like i can't just go out and do this like some ordinary thing like everyone else like there's too much creativity out there that we can it's flowing through all of us that we need to utilize and that's pretty much the birth of the podcast and everything and and where we are now no, I, no, I agree, and and I totally support the podcast. I love it, love everything about it, and I'm happy. I'm happy you're, yeah, I'm happy you're doing it, man. <laughs> and it's just yeah, it makes me it makes me kind of sad sometimes. Like, like I have a lot of people who um, I, when I was working in a large engineering firm, um, I had a lot of friends who would come to me crying, crying, and I'm like, why, why are you crying? what's wrong and they're just like I, I don't you know it's just work and this and that I'm not happy this and that and I'm just like well well what do you want to do and they're just like I don't know <laughs> and that's no it's because like, I went through that too like that is like one of the hardest questions ever because our like society like makes us believe of certain things we can do like I never thought I could be a writer I didn't think that was possible because you know people are like oh no like writers don't make money it's impossible to be the next Stephen King <laughs> um yeah it's just, I, I think it's pretty bad like you don't need to be the next Stephen King you can you can make enough money to live off of and and still be a writer you know you don't need yeah. to make you millions and billions of dollars every year you can be making thirty thousand dollars off your writing and live live just fine yeah I think that not knowing makes things more interesting because there's so much like room for you to think of like where like you could go and where you could grow and it's just um I guess so much opportunity there that people might not realize and you just kind of gotta get started and realize that it's not gonna happen overnight and it's pretty much a journey no. being a long haul and realize that yeah this is uh damn I said that word a lot the last three times <laughs> but, uh, yeah yeah no just go out there and follow your path and see just try so many different things and feel like what's the best best thing out there for you especially with you becoming an author and writing junk land and where you are now it's pretty impressive just writing a sequel and i was curious some of the challenges of writing the sequel and you know what you might have what might have come up that was different than writing the first book and how you had to kind of get past those obstacles and write the final product Oh, um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question and a, and a good segue. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah, so writing a sequel was difficult. Like, going into it, I was like, okay, I wrote one book. It only gets easier from here. Makes sense, right? Makes yeah, sense. You, yeah. I, 
Yeah, well then months into it, I found myself Googling how to write a sequel. <laughs> I was so desperate of just like I was it was so hard. It ended up being the most like more difficult than the first book, I think. Because Junkland, Junkland kind of just came naturally to me. The Lost Soul, yeah, I knew you know where the story needed to go. I knew I knew like the end of the part one, I knew how it would end, but like everything else, I needed to figure out my own outline. But uh it was difficult. So I found myself <laughs> Googling how to uh, make a sequel. And it turns out uh, not many people, there's there's nothing on Google on how to write a sequel. There's how to write a book, yeah, but how to write <laughs> a sequel, book two, there's not much existing on the internet about that. So I had to do this pretty much for myself. With Junkland, I could Google every, anything, and that's pretty much how I learned how to like the writing business, how to make a website, how to write the book, how to market, how to look for covered artists, everything. I Googled and did it, but this was when I officially got stumped. And I think the hardest thing about writing a sequel was, I think just for me, at least in this book, the, the character motives, like, um, yeah, the character motives, because the character motives had to fit, you know, um, the lost soul needed to be its own story, a beginning, a middle, an end. But the, the character motives needed to fit and connect with book one while also, you know, continuing the story of book two and the motives need to fit with book two also. Yeah. And also they need to fit with what's coming in book three. So the character modes are, is where I, I struggled because, you know, I didn't want to force a sequel. I wanted to be natural. I wanted the character motives to be natural. I wanted their beliefs and their pushes and their needs and their wants to all be natural. And, you know, there's one character I wrote um, mainly to push one of the characters in a certain direction. It needed to happen, but I needed to develop this character's motives to fit with the rest of the story, if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, yeah. character motives overall were definitely a lot harder. And also, I moving to a foreign country didn't really <laughs> help very much because I, you know, in this in in Spain, I'm teaching English. I have a lot more free time than I did working in Washington D.C. But uh, moving, turns out, moving to a foreign country is not an easy thing to do. And I remember my first year here, I never slept so much in my life before. I slept so much because of the, the culture shock. Uh, I think it was uh, our uncle who said, when you move to a new place, you need to see a full calendar year in order to be fully accustomed to you know, this place. And now try that plus living in another country. I was just like hit with a shock. I was always tired. I was always sleeping. I was always just like my head was just filled with like you know, new information. I had new language around me. I had, yeah, just everything was new. Well, and it was kind of overwhelming. Like, I think our difference from where you're originally from is <laughs> when you first get there, I can imagine it's a pretty huge shock. Yeah, I remember I, it was, you know, I, I lived in southern Spain my first year, my first two years. And it was the first time in my life where I took a cold shower because it was so hot, no air conditioning in the apartments. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just like being surrounded in heat 24-7 drained me. And this lasted for a solid, I'd say like two, two, three months like that. So yeah, it, it was hard finding a routine to get down and write. Um, I think that was the most difficult thing. So I think that's why writing The Lost Soul took, it, uh, Junkland took me a year and a half to write. The Lost Soul took me around three, almost three and a half years to write. 
And I think just moving to a foreign country really uh, delayed my process. And I'm praying that book three will not take me three and a half years this time. Yeah, no, I know uh, you talk, you're talking about like having to delay the process, but I'm curious just with moving to Europe and doing all that world traveling, um, did it have any influences on the story or your writing style compared to when you originally were writing Junkland and um, yeah, maybe how it, how it has developed in that way, just from being out in Spain? Yeah, um, it's, I wrote my best stuff here in Spain, in Europe. I am also a songwriter and I write poetry and he does it all ladies and gents he does it all <laughs> <laughs> i dabble in a little bit of everything these days but yeah i wrote some of my best songs here in spain some of my best poems um i wrote some of the lost soul before coming to spain but i think it really developed when i arrived here and i don't think that's really a, co a coincidence um I'm kind of diverging from your question, but there's like, there's a reason why Pablo Picasso was inspired by Spain. He's from Spain. He's from Malaga, but he, you know, there's a reason why he's Pablo Picasso. He's from Spain. There's so much, there's so much art here and beauty and, and culture. And it's, it's, it's a reason why these people get inspired. And Pablo Coelho, who wrote The Alchemist, and uh, he wrote, I think it's called, oh, I forgot the title of the book. But he wrote a book about the Camino de Santiago, which which Aunt Diana did, and also I did twice. <laughs> and it's a it's a hiking route in the north of Spain, and uh, yeah, and it's a really famous hiking route to do here. And Paulo Coelho did it, and while doing it, it influenced him to write a book. And also Ernest Ernest Hemingway, he was very fascinated by Spain, was always coming here. He always went to the San Fermin Festival, which is located in Pamplona, and we know it as the running running of the bulls. So Ernest Hemingway would always go to the Running of the Bull Festival, and he ended up uh, writing a book about it because he was so influenced by it. And I really don't blame him because I went to the festival, and it was probably the best festival I've ever been to in my life. Just the whole environment, the people, the best fireworks I've seen, seeing the Running of the Bulls. I saw this small little, small little girl from our university running with the bulls, and I was just like, what the heck are you doing in there? Uh, but yeah, it was just it was just a really great experience, and I and I understand why these people are influenced by this country to write, to create art, to create writing, to create music. Um, yeah, for myself, it's just coming here. I one thing that comes to mind: I'm terrible at writing or like creating castles, and, and I I hate the castle I created in Junkland. I absolutely hate it, and I think moving here in Spain. And all over Europe, there's so there's castles everywhere. And you know, it seems like all the buildings now, have those types of uh, castle vibes on it, and they're all built yeah. in that like medieval type of look look to them. Yeah, no, and we don't really experience that in the U.S. So it really was an eye opener seeing all these castles, and now I can be like, okay, so this is how it is. So this is how it's like to walk inside a castle and finally experience it instead of like watching Game of Thrones and experience the castle from there. And uh, yeah, and also like um, experiencing different cultures interacting with each other. Like within Spain, there are so many cultures within Spain. Like in Galicia, they speak their own language called Gallego or Galician. And for example, in País Vasco and Basque country, they speak Basque. And Basque is totally different from Spanish. 
uh, Galician, the Galician language is kind of similar to Spanish. It's actually what created Portuguese and it's the only place in the world where they speak it. And it's like going, Spain has 17 uh, autonomous comunidades, like uh, auto, uh, autonomous communities. Oh, nice. They're like states. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Pretty good. <laughs> and then, sometimes it comes out just randomly. But um, yeah, they're like states in the United States and Spain has 17 of them. And sometimes going to a new autonomous community is like going to a whole different country because they have different food, that sometimes different languages, just different cultures. And yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild and seeing everyone interact with each other and what people think about like the other, the other people and, and, and just Europe in general. It's just like, it's just like a, a cluster of uh, just, just like a, so many languages and culture mixed together. You meet German people, Austrians, people from the UK, Swedish people, it's everyone. It's just, uh, we don't really experience that in the US. So it's kind of really cool seeing it's just like my mind can't comprehend how like the other weekend I went to Porto, which is a city in Portugal and how three hours, no, yeah, three hours away, they speak a whole new language and have a whole new culture. My mind is just like still, it's hard to comprehend. You, know, you go three hours away in New Jersey and you're, maybe you're getting like, maybe you're getting a couple different like sandwich shops or something. That's pretty much it. <laughs> uh, working three hours take for new jersey you can get to south new jersey in three hours three hours north would bring you where like new york i guess yeah maybe like uh probably getting close to yeah. vermont maybe maybe a little bit more snow but no, then it's yeah. <laughs> just dry out there it's like four hours <laughs> pretty much yeah, just, pretty you know, if you go like if you go a few hours out of jersey like you're pretty much the only difference is that you got to pump your own gas that's <laughs> all it is <laughs> that's a very good point do we know why we do that no, I, I never, I never heard or like understood why, but I think we might be the last state in the whole uh, U.S. is still. I, I mean, I'm not Oregon. Gonna, especially Oregon does it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, uh, it's not, it's not a bad thing though, because especially when it's like 20 degrees outside in the winter, like no one wants to get out of their car and do that. But no, not at all, not at all. Yeah, that. <laughs> that's pretty much it. If you don't know, if you haven't lived in New Jersey, that's pretty much the culture shock that you're gonna hit compared to the rest of the United States is that they'll, like you'll try and get out of your car and then the guy will give you a death stare like wait what are you doing yeah. get back in this is my job how would you get lost and let me pump that gas and you're like what do you want regular super medium <laughs> diesel <laughs> diesel you want some diesel that car <laughs> that diesel but yeah I know, guess so uh... just let them do their thing and and uh, that's what they get paid for it's it's a vibe <laughs> the gas people um are you they're the amish people too i guess it's a, a little a culture shock and go experience the amish out in pennsylvania oh yeah <laughs> well i don't know even driving through pennsylvania just such a different such different energy in new jersey new jersey just get like i don't know lots of uh industrial especially like some parts of it you're just driving through you always see like that the smokestacks coming from all those buildings and then pennsylvania is just like literally nothing but like grass and trees and this one road <laughs> driving through and then like maybe a couple of cows and horses but <laughs> Hershey Park we got Hershey Park oh yeah that's true I think I got scared from the chocolate bars <laughs> we went there <laughs> all the camp there were like Reese, people in Reese's costumes coming over and like, scaring the shit out of me I mean I was scared of things in costumes when I was like 10 years old and younger so I mean 
no surprises there, but still like a, a giant chocolate bar running towards you. Usually, <laughs> cool, but no, it's not. <laughs> I prefer the Disney mascots instead. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they look. <laughs> they're much more common. They look nice. <laughs> um yeah well i guess that's why people say how do you feel when people say new jersey's armpit of america oh my god it pisses me off come on it's such a one girl said i don't know i mean she probably listened to this but there was a lady freshman year of college who comes up to me and like oh you're from jersey the armpit of america i'm like yo let's relax here like you're from virginia northern virginia is the same exact type of thing like i've been there it looks the same but uh I, I, that's funny because I was at you know Virginia Tech at Tots and uh, the Tots is uh, one of the most famous bars in Virginia Tech you can go to. Yeah. I think it was just a buildup of emotions. This one girl was just like trying to say Virginia Beach. I've never been, so I can't say anything. I'm sure it's beautiful, but she was saying how Virginia Beach was better than than New Jersey, or just like yeah, Nova was better than than New Jersey. And Nova, for you that not list, uh, don't know, it's uh, Northern Virginia, right right outside Washington D.C. Not Villanova. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like I yelled and yelled i was just like how can you even compare and say that and also she said she only drove through new jersey it's like how can you say that yeah it's not even like experienced it (laughs) i know and like they're great and like i think she told me also no one goes to on vacation new jersey i'm like what are you talking who goes who ever says like yeah i'm gonna go take a vacay down in virginia nobody no one does that maybe i'll go to school down there but no one's like, I'm going to take a flight out to Virginia for the weekend because, you know, what are you going to do? Like, do you know how many beaches are in New Jersey? I, I never – do you know the exact number? I don't really know the I, number. But. I do because I'm an English teacher here in Spain, and these are the things I have to teach. There are 44 beaches in New Jersey. I hope I'm right now. But, yeah, there are 44 <laughs> beaches in New Jersey. And, yeah, it makes sense. And in, in the summers of uh, New Jersey summers, people from Pennsylvania, Connecticut, New York, everyone just, like, converges to the Jersey Shore. And there's a reason why. It's beautiful. It's great. It's magical. And like, I know. You've ever been, like, we grew up here, and this is the place to be. Like, I've been to some other beaches, but sometimes the sand just doesn't really hit the same. And it's just it's not it's the smooth sand. It's, it's just so color. It's just so bright and vibrant and especially in the summer when it's like 90 degrees you have those oh. you have those 50 50 year old ladies who you overhear behind you like oh my god it's so hot oh it burns burns oh ow ow they're like what do you think it's obviously hot and they're like sprinting across <laughs> trying to get to the car <laughs> <laughs> oh, i miss those I know. Yeah, that's, that's another that's another thing i miss it, it doesn't really you know like when you think of spain what, what type of weather do you think kevin I would, I don't know. I would always think like, just like all of Europe, I just think it's always vibrant and sunny and people drinking coffee and having like what, uh, crepes out, out in the cafes or something. <laughs> just All of Europe, all of Europe. You can't say that about London. London is just the rainiest place in the world. <laughs> no, well, uh, I agree. Like at least in Spain, like uh, I pictured hotter than California, sunnier than California just hot like hot 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 but it was kind of the opposite like cold and rainy <laughs> yeah like i lived in i lived in Cadiz, which is like the southern tip of spain so it's pretty much like as hot as it gets in europe and it was like the the worst 
I don't know, worst cold I ever experienced in my life? Yeah, I'll say it's the worst cold I experienced in my life. And people are like, what are you talking about? You're from New Jersey. And I'm like, no, it's different. Because in New Jersey, when it's like zero degrees outside Fahrenheit, it's <laughs> we have heat and we wear, we have heat. That's it. We have heat. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> forgot you have heat apartments. out there. <laughs> yeah, the apartments here, they don't have heat. And it's very humid. So it gets down to like, what, like, high 50s low 50s at nighttime and when it's low 50s high 50s at nighttime it's going to be that temperature in your apartment mixed with like like 100 humidity literally like if you have any skin exposed to the air it feels like ice literally ice and you have like blast like heaters which is really expensive here with blast heaters and the heater only like heats like the one little area in front of it and I was, I, it's just the worst cold in the world. And here in Galicia too, so we still experience humidity, but with it's, it's a lot colder here. And it's the rainiest region in Spain. It's kind of like living in Seattle. I've never experienced so much rain in my life. And again, it's just like when it's 40 degrees outside, it's gonna be 40 degrees in your apartment. And that's pretty freaking cold, plus humidity. Like I would sleep with sweatshirts and sweatpants, five layers of blankets, blasting my heat and still freezing in the morning. And I'm just like, this is ridiculous. It's like in your bed, like shivering. <laughs> yeah, I feel like an old man because my muscles get really tight in the morning from all the cold. And I wake up feeling like I'm like 80 years old. I got to stretch and crack everything. And I'm like, wow, it's just when you look for apartments here, you got to ask like, how's the, how's the humidity? How are the windows? Cause like the windows, I have really bad windows. So like when there's wind, the, the air just like comes right in. And so these are like questions you don't even like think of asking like, how's the humidity? How are the windows? How, um, no, nah, I can't think of another one, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah, different, different way of living. Yeah. Like, I mean, I like the cold when I'm sleeping, but I can't say like I'd, enjoy like 40 to 50 degrees like i need a little cooler but especially like in the morning like right when i get up i just crank that shit up because like during the day it's got to be like gotta be toasty you know like, it gotta be nice and comfortable just like maybe not sweating but you want to you want those <laughs> nice and you know just like relax and and then uh, but obviously when you live with your your fam obviously you have constricting personalities of oh it's too hot it's too cold it's too hot it's too cold stop touching it damn it <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not excited to come home this summer and uh fight with that with the thermometer <laughs> like that episode of spongebob mr Krabs. it stayed at 62 degrees <laughs> turns, like one degree up like what what spongebob people, what have you done <laughs> uh yeah i don't i don't understand i had one roommate like that too like i'd literally be sweating in my bed sweating and he would be freezing in his room and he would turn, um, I guess I had the AC on because I was sweating and he would turn it off. And I just like came storming out one day after, you know, like months of like fighting with him. I'm like, I am sweating in my room. I can't sleep, wear a jacket or another blanket, but like leave the air conditioner on and just scream. And they looked at me like I was a monster. I was just like, <laughs> I, need, I need the AC. <laughs> Going through that one degree too, like you're like, I don't think anyone really notices this one degree, but let's just do it. And everyone's like, Oh, it's one degree hotter in here. I'm like, What have you done? It's 
73, I had it set at 72. Like, you, you felt that? I mean, I mean, I guess in my sense, like, if I turn it up one degree, like, it'll do what, well, I really feel it, but I think it's just the, the mind saying, yes, yes, you, you need that, you need that one extra, extra degree in there. It really, really gets your body, get feeling that toastiness. I don't even know. What's your, what's your, um, your prime temperature for sleeping? Oh, man, for sleeping? I gotta go like, well, I mean, like in the winter, if you if you have like the heat on, you want it to be like 66 is nice. But like when the AC is on, when it's hot out, drop that shit down to like 70, 69, maybe always good. Wow. What do you mean up? You mean up? <laughs> wait, so. Oh, oh yeah. Wait. <laughs> oh, I know. Because if, if you turn it down, the AC will make it colder. So that... <laughs> I'm confused at your at your system here. Um, so you want 67 when it's hot or cold? 66 when it's oh, 66. Like, yeah, so when you have the heat on, and then you'll put you'll push that down. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Is that how it works? <laughs> I don't know. Now. I'm confused. We need to test this out. I'm just gonna keep it simple and say 67. 67. Yeah, now I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think I think math is uh, falling apart here, but well, I think I think I think in the yeah no, I think I think you are right. I think you are right. Like I think in the in the winter sixty seven, but okay. then like summertime, I think I keep it like seventy, seventy one, seventy two. Because in the so winter, you, like it's trying to bring the temperature down, but you gotta so like sixty six. I mean, the temperature's trying to go down because it's cold outside, but sixty six is keeping it keep it there but in the summer the temperature is trying to rise with the ac but the ac is keeping it down you know and this is why you go to college kids this is why <laughs> yeah, you go to college. This, is, this is the knowledge you need to learn <laughs> <laughs> i think we uh, oh, i think we segued a bit away from the the author author cues but um yeah no always good to get some of these some of these classic vibes in and just remembering uh <laughs> remember all the, the brotherly days of when we would all go crazy living in the same house oh yeah the brotherly days yeah, yeah just background, background on the author here just we grew up family of four brothers under one house which is crazy to think about now how long we all lived in the same place because we haven't really done that in a long time but yeah, we all grew up together, and it was uh, those were some heavy moments. <laughs> Pretty amazing that uh, I was always thinking about this because the rooms in our house never like they never had the capability to lock, and actually, apparently, they <laughs> like mom had like some ancient key that somehow actually locks these doors, but like half of them wouldn't even close all the way anyway. And have then, you, have, you, have you ever seen the draw? I, I don't know if it still exists. There was a draw of keys just like hundreds of keys like old keys i always just looked in being fascinated by them. i'm like what are these two and one of them was definitely the one you're talking about the old key to lock the room yeah yeah like you never realize how old that house is because like who like who has keys like that and like you go to your friend's house and they have actual doors that lock and you just think about that like we never really had we, we never really none of us really had privacy like when we were growing up like we would always just like like those doors would never close. We'd always just like shove them open and be like, "What are you doing in here?" And then just like run out. And just, like, 
Hello. It's like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Get out, get out. And just like annoying each other, like, yeah, can you just go away? We would just say one word. It wouldn't even be bad, but we're just like, we need some private. And then like we're all going to the bathroom and we parch. <laughs> but a part of me loved it because I remember uh, living with my roommates. I would always um, pee with the door open. And it was like, what is until my roommate said something like yeah, they would come up, they would come up the stairs, and when you turn the stairs, you have to like look into the bathroom, and I would just like be standing pee. And I'm like, I'm like, and it, it took until then to um to like think like why am I keeping the door open? Like they have a point, why don't I close it? But it's just like it's a brotherly thing. It's like, you know, I'm open. I'm open. I feel comfortable. I want to feel included. I want you to feel included. I want, <laughs> yeah, like, I want. You, like you got no doors closed. You got to know where we're coming through, coming from, like how we grew up. That's just like, that's just like what we did. It was natural. <laughs> and uh, like when I was at school too, I would just do the same thing. My friends would just come in like, what is what is wrong with, I'd also like randomly slap their ass. Like, yeah, yeah, baby, like slap ass. Cause wow. like, while they're being? Oh, no, 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 while they're being. Just, <laughs> when they'd be around the house, it's like, hell yeah, they would slap, like, come on, just get in here. Cause that's what we did too growing up. We'd be at the beach and we'd just slap his ass when we are in the ocean or something. Everyone's like, yo, what's wrong with you guys? But I don't really know why we did that, but it's just kind of uh, the, energy we, the energy we provided. But I've come to learn that other people don't appreciate that type of stuff sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's no, just no, the culture of our, uh, of our upbringing. It's kind of fun. It's funny to see uh, kind of like where our personalities came from. <laughs> slapping butts for, for 18 years. Eight, or no, I guess oh, we're still slapping butts. Slapping butts for, for life. <laughs> slapping, yeah, slapping the booty for life, baby. <laughs> I was actually thinking about it when you were talking about um, uh, like the weapons that they use in junk land. I think the captors, right? How is that related to butt, butt spanking? I just thinking about because like just growing up and how we used to like have those Nerf wars too. I was like, I was going to ask if, if any of that type of stuff had influence on uh, the creation of your, of your weaponry and your stories. <laughs> You're gonna be sad if I say no. <laughs> I mean, I would expect it, but I just thought it was. Now I don't know why it just popped into my brain. Well, I'm sure I had some. You know, I think I think for me, writing. Oh, it's gonna sound pretty corny. Writing is life. Life is writing. To write, you need to experience life. Like that's it. You know, if you're you know, to be a writer means living. I think that's a better way to put it. You know, being the president seeing things, uh, being, being connected with your emotions, knowing how to, to express them, how to open your eyes and see things that other people don't. I think which overall is just living, positive living. And I think that's what it takes to be a writer. And I think my you know, everyday experiences of my life obviously get portrayed in my writing. So I'm sure like my growing up experiences are you can you can see them in my writing but um with the captors <laughs> i definitely wanted something like star wars related with stormtroopers mixed with like ghostbusters and yeah i just i love stories with like laser guns i don't know why just like <laughs> pew, pew. What, what, you know a bad story with a laser gun you know pew, 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 pew. <laughs> lego batman 
Oh. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, the sound effect. <laughs> Batman, what are you doing? <laughs> Great movie. Yeah, no, I, uh, <laughs> you know, the, uh, I can just imagine uh, creating the weapons in a story is probably uh, one of the the most fun parts and just because it's just it's more like a a unique uh, unique thing like Star Wars obviously has like the lasers and then um, just other other ways to battle and stories just like how do you come up with those types of uh, the types of devices that they'll utilize and like you said like for theirs they use um, well, I forget how it worked. Like they use uh, the energy, right? And then it creates. Yeah, yeah, the captures. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was um, difficult because, you know, if you put, a, it's like if you use a sword that has a laser on it in your story, people are going to think Star Wars. If you use a laser gun, people are also going to think Star Wars. Uh, so it's kind of hard. Well, I think that's the thing because they always, I remember, I can't remember, there was an English class one time, middle school or, or maybe in high school where they always say like every story pretty much has influences from other stories. Like there's really, there's really not one true original work of like piece of writing because like there's always influences from other stories and just like from growing up and like books you've read, there's always like elements that you'll take from that type of stuff. Yeah, no, no, for sure. That's a great point to bring up like originality does not exist boom like for example uh oh, well, author lord of the rings oh my god uh jrr token yep there we go yeah like, <laughs> dwarves and elves and all those things existed already he was just the first one to like really write about them and write and get famous off of it yeah it's like those things existed though already um the wheel of time for example if you read the first book of the wheel of time it is identical to uh, the first book of the Lord of the Rings, like identical. And he admits it too. Like, yeah, I was highly influenced off of it. But then after the first book, it, it goes into his own, it blossoms into his own thing. That's completely different from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, everything, everything is influenced by something. It's kind of like, uh, oh, wow, this is going to get pretty crazy. Like um, <laughs> when they say, when you dream, you can't imagine a person you've never met before. You've heard that, right? Damn, that's why. I mean, it makes sense, yeah. Because like, you've never heard that before. No, I never. Right. Heard. So like, no, never. So if you dream of someone, um, you have seen. You can't think of a person in your mind in your dream if you've never actually seen them. But that doesn't mean it's going to be like a specific person. It means like, okay, you take, uh, it could be a mixture of a, like yeah, multiple yeah. people forming into one person. Make sense? Yeah, just so like it's the same thing. Huh? Just like elements from various like, like different people that maybe like your subconscious is thought of. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's like, okay, maybe you're influenced by this, 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 and this, and this, and you combine it to make your own form of originality more or less yeah if that makes sense <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's pretty wild because yeah a lot of people a lot of people a lot of writers i've met uh not just writers musicians artists whatever they all think they have to be original but it's like none of them are original <laughs> uh, well bless, bless you over there. <laughs> thank you <laughs> allergic to this, this conversation um yeah so like <laughs> 
Yeah, um, where was I? Originality, uh, <laughs> originality, originality. Yeah, even like Leonardo da Vinci, all those people, they were influenced by something, but they were like the first person to get famous off of it and be well known for it, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think people people will like feel like if you're trying to be creative and make make content that's original, like you'll try, some people want to try too much to be perfect. And like, when you do that, you'll never really put out a product that like, cause you'll never take any risk. And sometimes like you might have influences from other people, but the biggest thing that can help you is maybe just like your style and the personality you bring to whatever you create. And, and then that's kind of like, that's kind of like the vibe that all of your, like, like your books like that you write are centered around because they have your own original like style and the way you write it and how it comes about. And I think that influence is what makes it more unique. And then it gives people the confidence to put it out there and has like their own stamp on it rather than trying to make something that's perfect and original because like, that's just truly not really possible, especially today. No, for sure. And, and like with, with Junkland and the Lost Soul, like Junkland you know, it's not, it's obviously not a perfect book. It's not the best book in the world, but you know, it's, 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 it's good. I, I like it. That's not the point I'm trying to make. But my point is the last soul is a whole, it's, it's, it's a better book. It's, it's um, the writing's better. The story's better. The character development's better. It's better because I'm a better writer. I've grown. I, yeah. So it makes sense that, book two is going to be a lot better than book one. And a lot of people who are reading it right now are literally like reaching out to me and being like, wow, Pat, like book one was, yeah, it was good. But like book two is like, this is like the next, the next level. But you know, like a lot of writers are like, oh, I need to write both books like that. But like, it's, that can't happen. Like I can't go back and change junk land. It is what it is. It's, 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 that's, that's him. That's him. That's, that's who he is. That's, that's, he's never going to be like the lost soul, if that makes sense. You know, the lost soul only exists because of junk land and book three is going to be even better than book two and book one, because I'm going to be growing as a writer, but like, yeah, if I went back and wrote junk land with my new skills, yeah, sure. It'd be, uh, you know, written better and this and that. But if I waited to that point, I would, I guess the point of this conversation is like, I would not have released anything. I would never have started my writing journey. I probably would never have started my writing journey if I was always waiting to be perfect, if that makes sense. But perfect is never going to arrive. So get it as best as it can. Uh, Pretty much you want to get it to the point where you can't even look look at it anymore. (laughs) There's the point where you can't look at it anymore and just release it and don't look back and move on and move on with your life and the things that you want to prove on the things you want to do better on your new ideas uh take them and use them for your next book or the next thing you want to do yeah 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 no for sure it's uh <laughs> it's definitely a unique uh, process and just seeing the growth um through every story and how the writing has improved is impressive and always always going up from here and always gonna create new things and create better work just because of uh getting the years under the belt and skills becoming enhanced and all that that's just like like podcasting too i'm sure you know like i'm sure after what your 300th episode you're gonna look back at episode one and be like oh my god yeah i I still went back and listened to episode one like whoa like that uh (laughs) like that's what i sounded like like god damn 
Yeah, it was good. I I enjoyed episode one. I enjoyed all your episodes, but it's just like you know, so so. But it's just weird thinking. You know, turns on confidence. Yeah, but like episode three hundred would not exist unless episode one happened. Yeah, and especially just getting over like like the fears. You know, like when you listen to your own voice. I remember doing that when I was younger and being like hearing yourself on video, and you just think, "Whoa, that is uh, (laughs) that is not what I expected." And I think. I think my voice is definitely higher. Once I hit puberty, I just went like straight into like monotone surf voice because I've been around the beach too long. That puberty just just went straight into that. Just like, what's up, brah? <laughs> that's pretty much how it's been. And then I hear myself on video. I'm like, whoa, in my brain, I sound super uh, not even close to that type of uh, that type of energy but i mean it's a, it's a unique it's a unique voice you you capture it you utilize it and i think after a while you become more inclined to listening to it because now it i feel like it sounds a bit different or maybe just like my ears have adjusted to like maybe the frequencies of what it sounds like so it's uh yeah it's, it's pretty weird <laughs> you gave me some influence because my first podcast on my book tour is going to be released on june 1st and i'm dreading like i had a lot of fun doing it just like this one too and also with this one i'm just dreading listening to both of them later on in the future it sounds pretty it just it sounds good listening to uh your smooth voice it really fits the vibe of the god yeah yeah i got you i mean i mean as always on the pod we always gotta talk about surfing and shredding the gnar and i know growing up i guess i mean you actually you surfed before i even did and just uh i mean we're segueing a bit from the the cues here but we're just gonna get into some some more background of the author here and his lifestyle but yeah i mean you surfed before i did you even had a your own your own board and i didn't really start till later on but i guess how is uh the sur- your surfing expanded as you moved to spain and like how's it been just i know you get like 20 plus foot waves out there so it's a little bit different in <laughs> new jersey yeah so I'm, I'm very impressed with your surfing because i think i think i was like one of the worst of the john's brothers of surfing um i had one summer in long beach island new jersey where i got really good at it and then it's just it's just something that you have to keep doing and with you know right. living in new jersey if you don't want to surf in the ice cold water in the winter time then you got to wait until summer and you know you kind of lose it you have to start from the bottom again and work your way your way up so yeah i kind of had one good summer and after that you know university i just didn't like have a lot of time surfing so i kind of lost it and never really picked it back up but i always wanted to do it and be one of the john's brothers the good surfers like i think that um california trip we went in 20 18 right oh my god, I sucked ass that sucked so much ass that trip <laughs> no but at least like you like would go out and be able to like stay like i was just like like not even comfortable in the water like you know surfing first you need to like surfing's difficult because you can be a professional at one beach and then go to another beach and oh, be yeah. a noob again you know so you got to really learn the beach, know the water, be comfortable before you can even start like taking a wave. So, that, you know, that I wasn't very comfortable and I watched all you guys going out and I was just like, wow, like I'm jealous. I don't feel comfortable in the water like they do. And that, but I wanted to be like that. And then I moved to Spain 
And my first year, I didn't surf at all. Well, no, no, that's a lie. I did surf. Um, it was just in Cadiz, where I live. By, I live by Tarifa, which is like the southernmost tip of Europe. It's right across from Morocco. And that's like the wind capital of the world, they say, because uh, the Strait of Gibraltar run, um, divides Tarifa from Morocco. And there's this thing called the Levante wind, which is this wind that comes from the east. It's like, a, I, I think I learned this from Alchemist or somewhere. There's this town called uh, uh, Levante, and this wind would take these settlers from Levante to like the Mediterranean side. So that's why they call it Levante wind. So this heavy wind coming from east to west just gusts through and goes straight into the Strait of Gibraltar and just brings about this heavy winds. This is kind of digressing, but like my first year, I thought I had pink eye all the time because I was working in the schools. And I always had pink eye. My eyes are red. I was always itching them. But then I realized, I was like, I can't have pink eye this often. I realized it was from having sand in my eye. Like, like oh, yeah, yeah, it was sunny yeah. every single day living here. Uh, but there was no rain. But we would have windy days. Windy days where you couldn't even go outside. You couldn't even run. Couldn't even walk. Could do nothing. And sand would get in your eyes. And they would get all irritated. So it was very windy. So I lived by Tarifa. And there was not really much surfing because it was just windsurfing and kiteboarding. But uh, I surfed in Portugal with Brother Matt. Um, yeah, for... <laughs> Shout out to Matt. Hello, for spring break. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we went surfing. We did a trip for spring break. It's called Semana Santa. It's like Holy Week. It's, they have a week off here in Spain for Easter. And we met up in Lisbon. And after Lisbon, we went to a place called Lagos in Portugal. And we did a little surf trip. And it was terrible. The waves were really strong. The water was like a washing machine. We could barely get out. But it was, it was good to get in the water. And then during the summertime, I went to a city called Santander, which is in the nor north of Spain. And the north of Spain is just a whole new level of surfing. Like there is surf culture in northern Spain. Southern Spain, not so much. But um, yeah, so I really, I lived with the, huh? To the north. <laughs> the north, to the north. <laughs> uh, I traveled to the north and uh, I lived with the host family in Santander, Spain, and they love surfing. So they would take me surfing all the time. I used this giant green longboard. This thing was huge. It was like a tree trunk. And I would, I would, it, it was my favorite board ever. I would literally paddle, like paddle one, two, and just stand up. And I would take these monster waves and it was just such an easy board to use. And the waves are just different. The waves are big, fat and slow. And they're just so easy to catch. And it just like, it was a good segue to getting back into surfing. So I had a good summer surfing then. And then after I moved to Cadiz, the city of Cadiz and Cadiz is the oldest city in Europe with inhabitants still living there. And it's a sister city of uh, Habana in Cuba. So uh, if you ever watched James Bond, Die, an Die Another Day, um, if you remember the scene of Halle Berry coming out of the water, looking all sexy when James Bond goes to Cuba. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the binoculars, bird watching, but really he's watching some sexy babe coming out of the water. <laughs> But um, yeah, the Cadiz is, uh, was a big surf culture and I bought a surfboard and, you know, I like the, I'm a longboard guy. I like the feel of a longboard. I yeah. like cruising. I like relaxing. But, you know, the wintertime, the waves got big and everyone recommended getting a board. So I ended up getting this board that was like 48 liters and six foot nine. 
and this thing floated like a boat, but it was a short board too. And me and my friend Devin, uh, she had a long board. We would surf every single day. And my level went from zero to 10. Like, like I just, I remember dropping in on waves, caught, like, like literally just like a giant wave, seven foot wave dropping in and thinking I died. Like You're just like, out holy yeah, I'll still be standing up. I'll be like, oh my God, oh my God, what is happening? How am I still alive? How am I, how am I standing right now? And then all of a sudden, I'd start carving on this wave up and down, oh, up yeah. and down. Like, oh my God. <laughs> how did I learn this? How did this even happen? Like, where does the skill come from? And yeah, I was very happy. And my skill got so much better. Just like, yeah, just dropping on waves, carving, and, and surfing every single day in Cadiz. And then after, I went back to Santander for the summer, surfed some more. And this year, I live in Galicia, in uh, the city called Ferrol. And the coast of Ferrol is the most beautiful coast I've ever seen in my life. But it's open ocean, and it's a whole new level of surfing. Like, open ocean is scary. It's just like, the waves might look small, but the water is just so, like, like strong and the currents are strong and this is so like maybe there's small waves but it takes you like all you all you're doing is paddling because the current just brings you back and brings you back it's just not letting you not letting you get to your <laughs> just let me get out to the destination <laughs> yeah like they'll be like the waves are right there right there let me pass please so surfing here has not been pretty good because it's it's, it's a very uh, advanced place to surf and you need a car to get there and I don't have one so I've kind of just I've been surfing too much this year but um, yeah I also surfed in Biarritz in France where Matt is located right now brother Matt that's a man um, <laughs> he's actually surfing there right now lucky him but uh, we're, we're all oh uh, where else did I surf I surfed in France Spain Portugal and I think that is it but yeah, that's uh, that's been my surfing life here, and I'm excited to go back to Long Beach Island this summer to see if I still got the skills after not really surfing much this year. Oh, for sure, I, I can see you shredding up out there on that beat on the beach break of our street. It's just hard to catch waves in Long Beach Island. I remember after surfing in Santander my first summer and coming back to Long Beach Island. You know, I was like surfing monster waves and then I go to Long Beach Island and I can't do anything. I was just like, this makes no sense. Uh, the beach breaks, dude. They got that, they got that power. I don't know. I guess they got that Jersey power or something. Why? <laughs> well, they say if you can surf in Jersey, you can surf anywhere. I can, it's I can, so difficult. I can see it. I mean, some of them, they got some meat on those waves sometimes. And just, uh, I know you're talking about just like learning like the skill set and surfing and just like sometimes you, you do turns without even like, I don't know, surfing's weird because you can't really like, I don't even know how you, like when you practice it, the waves, like waves are just like a few seconds long. So like after a while, it's just, it's over. So like, you can never really go onto a wave and be like, okay, I'm going to practice like, like three turns on this. Or like, I'm going to try to get barrel because like, they're all so different. You can never really uh, like think, like whatever you think of trying to do, like it never works out that way. And when you try and learn turns, like you don't even know how you learn turns. You kind of just have to, like mess around and then eventually like you just start doing it because your body i guess like your body kind of has that that natural like oh Survival. You know, like we know yeah like we know how to ride boards in some ways like eventually your legs are <laughs> gonna start moving around and you're gonna get more like 
comfortable, like shredding on these bad boys. And like for me, like I wouldn't serve for, because uh, like when I go back to college, I wouldn't serve for like seven, like eight, like eight nine months sometimes. And then I'd go back the next summer and I would start like building on like a new skill that like I wouldn't even, like I haven't even been practicing for months. And for some reason, it just kind of pops out of nowhere. And uh, it's just surfing is weird. And when you see these people that are like getting tubed and 10 footers, you're just like, how do you, like, I feel like it wouldn't be, it's not that hard, like the catching, but like just paddling out and that type of stuff. And like when you're trying to duck dive and i'm not even that good at it but when you know like a giant wave is going to crash on you and you're just like you're just like oh, oh go 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 and then you know you're not going to make it so you just ditch the board and dive under and then you just gotta like go go stiff and then you just get you just get whipped around by the whole <laughs> well i wonder like do other people think the same as me because whenever i look at other people paddling everyone looks so calm and relaxed but me i'm thinking like oh my god if i don't arrive in time i'm going to die and i'm paddling 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 like it's it's like a really scary moment and everyone else is just like oh up and over and meanwhile, yeah, some like, people <laughs> get like some people like get crushed and they come up and they're like oh dude, that was so crazy oh my god like bro like, I mean, I laugh too, but in my mind, I'm like, holy shit, like, I was about to die. <laughs> and maybe, like, maybe in truth, like, it's never that, like, because maybe, like, an eight-foot wave, you get crushed, like, maybe you only get, you're, like, you're underwater for maybe, like, 10 seconds, but, like, like, when you're getting spun around, like, those 10 seconds feels like minutes, and that's why it, it's, like, it makes it feel, like, you can hold your breath for, like, a couple, like, maybe a minute max, but, like, when it's only 10 seconds, you feel like it shouldn't be that bad, but then you're like, oh, my God, my board is like flapping around or underwater like i don't know like i've fallen on it before like where like i don't know where my visual perception is especially because there's the water is very murky and you open your eyes and you just see like green do, do you ever do you remember any moment where you thought you would die while surfing i feel like I, i've i feel like i've got certain heavier waves recently and like there have been some falls where it's been scary but i feel like i'm i've gotten more comfortable like when i first started out surfing and i remember like i was using my fat my fat like fish board and i try i always try to duck dive it but it never because it was so fat it would never go into the <laughs> i couldn't push it down because it was floated too much and one time i think i tried to push it in and and like, and then like, you when you try and go under, and the board just gets sucked backwards, and it, and then you lose the grip, and you're like, oh, that's not good. And then your board gets sucked back, and then you get sucked back afterwards. There was definitely one time where I just got spun around, and I wasn't really comfortable, so I was like freaking out, and then I was losing my breath, and then I came up and was like, <gasps> and then I went to the shore, and I was like, yeah, that's enough for today. <laughs> I think me and you once. Uh, when I think it was early on when I started learning to surf and we went up to the beach and it was just like bombed offshore like barrels I think they were like closed out then we looked at the water and we were like yeah nah <laughs> and then we just walked back <laughs> I think I remember that too I, like, yeah, I, mean, I don't think I'm it's not worth it that long so I was like I don't think I could do this at the moment and we were just like yeah let's just uh let's just get a little bag and turn around <laughs> Not today. <laughs> uh, 
I remember um, one time I thought I would die. I was surfing in Santander and yeah, it was monster waves. Like it stormed, like a storm came through. Everyone was out, these giant monster waves that were breaking so far out. You had to paddle out to get them. Like we're talking like, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm bad with like, like heights and everything, but like I would say a solid eight, eight, foot, eight foot wave. Um, it, yeah, and I was, I was having a great time. We're chilling out there. And then I think I took a wave and crashed. And, you know, the green monster that was riding the, 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 the strap snapped. And the, the leaf snapped, sorry, the leaf snapped. And I saw my board just flying to shore. And I was just like in the ocean. I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. And I, st I, started, swimming to shore. I started swimming to shore, freaking out. And as I swam to shore, the current kept pushing me back out in the ocean. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. I was so tired. I spun down in the water for two hours and I was just like, <gasps> and I, was, I thought I was gonna die. I like, turned back to the surface. I was about to call for help. And I was just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's low tide, it's low tide. Let me see if I can stand So or touch the bottom. And then I, I ended up putting my foot on the bottom and the water was like up to my waist. <laughs> <laughs> I never you told me that's not how it's good. <laughs> So I walked back to shore. It was like, ah! <laughs> and then I'm like, oh. <laughs> like that scene from SpongeBob when, uh, uh, who else? Oh, Larry, Larry comes in, Pat, Patrick and SpongeBob are like, oh, please help. Oh, please, please. Oh, God, cramps. And then Larry's like, cramps, cramps. <laughs> so he's like, you guys Always need a good SpongeBob reference in there. Oh, I love SpongeBob. Good times. I oh, I actually played um because my third grade students they love SpongeBob. Like all we do is talk about SpongeBob. All they do is draw SpongeBob things like the Krusty Krab and and you know they they we try we, we bond over like because they know the names in Spanish and I teach them the names in English. Like Mr. Krabs is Senor Congrejo. Um, <laughs> it's a school bonding over it. And the other day we had art class and I was and the teacher was like Pat be the DJ. They wanted me to play music. So I ended up playing uh, SpongeBob music, and it was just a playlist of like the you know the Hawaiian songs in SpongeBob, the chill Hawaiian songs in the background of SpongeBob, and, and all the students they loved it. <laughs> so like they were get they were getting to feel the sponge. They were liking the sponge. It's nice. It's nice that you know, these are third graders, man. They're like what six years old? No, six years old. They're like eight, nine years old around okay. there. No, yeah, wait. No. <laughs> Six, seven, eight. I don't know. They're young. They're young, and they still like SpongeBob. You know, that's pretty cool. I know, man. I miss those times when we would come from school or like Saturday mornings and we would just watch fun. I miss those days when we could just turn on the TV and channel flip and just go on Nick instead of like streaming because I. Channel 33. And yeah, yeah, 33, 33, 32, 31, the three OGs of cards. Oh, what are channels? What are channels now? Like, I remember, like, 33, 32 is, like, Cartoon Network, 31, oh. Disney. That was, like, the kid heaven right there. Those three were, like, oh, yeah. what you needed. And oh, yeah. like, FX, 40, like, I think TBS, like, 39, TNT, 30. I don't know. What the hell? Why do I remember that shit? <laughs> I and mean, that was our childhood, man, you know? We grew up on that. I know. It was so easy. It was just, like, and then <laughs> it was just fun times. Sponge, SpongeBob, come back from school, and then watching uh watching mom <laughs> when she watches ellen when we come back from school like four o'clock 
Yeah, she always watched it. No, yeah, she watched Ellen and uh, Regis. Regis Philbin. <laughs> yeah, Regis, yeah. Regis and Kelly. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, there was so back in the day. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Should we uh, should we start to wrap it up? Are we? Uh... <laughs> You're the host, Kevin. You got any more questions for me? Or are we? Yeah, are we I mean, I think. Maybe we could uh, end up with one more question. I had this one in the back of the nog for most of the sesh. I think it's going to be pretty epic. Um, oh, God. Let's see her. I'm scared. I'm scared. <laughs> I, I ran out of tea. I, I'm, I've got my juices now. Yeah, yeah. Just um, just like your life as an author, how has it, like, what, like since you started on this path, how has it influenced you, like your personality, your experiences, and just made you into the man you are right now? Wow. Oh, the deep. <laughs> That's a deep question. Um, how is becoming my writing journey? How has it made me into the man I am now? Like, like what I said before, I think writing, to be a writer, you need to know how to live. And that is being present, living in the moment, seeing things others don't can't see. I think that's like one big trait I have. A lot of people I'm with, I'm like, oh, look at that over there. Oh, no, look at this over here. And everyone's like, wow, Pat, like you have some pretty good eyes. Or like, wow, Pat, I didn't even notice that. I, I tend to just like really notice things. And you know, it was a thing like growing up too. I remember being in restaurants with ex-girlfriends or friends and they'd just be like, uh, I'd be like, oh, this song's playing on the radio and they're just like you know out of all this noise going on in the restaurant a song we planned like oh i like this song you're like what there's music and i'm like yeah you can't hear it it's like that's that's maroon five playing right up right above us so it's just like i always notice things and i think uh coming to you know writing coming to spain is part of my writing journey and it's just it's been difficult. It's been hard. I don't look back on, you know, I don't have any regrets. I love every minute that I, you know, I love every decision I made so far in this, in this writing journey, leaving my job behind, leaving Washington, DC, uh, moving to Spain. But like, I think a lot of people think it's a walk in the park. It's uh, it's like, you know, extended vacation, but really it's just like another way of living. And also like one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life, writing a book, moving to Spain, it's been, you know, I've ran a marathon. Uh, yeah, it's, I've ran a marathon and it's nothing compares to that. It's just so difficult. And, but so sometimes they're hard, but I think it's, it's made me the man I am today because it's taught me how to, writing has taught me how to cope with stress. Writing has taught me how to cope with change. Writing has made me go out of my comfort zone. Writing has made me cope with failure. And I think failure is very important, um, you know, to exceed or to grow in life. Oh, yeah, because yeah. if you don't fail, you're just going to stay the same level your, your entire life and you're not going to grow. I really think it's important to always keep learning. And writing, uh, you need to always keep learning because you need to, you know, have new ideas. You need to experience new things. So you know how to write about it. And yeah, it's just, I am not the same person I am before I started writing. And I think that's a, you know, it's a pretty cool thing. I learned, I've learned a new language. 
I've wrote two books. I have a poetry book coming out. I have, you know, I, I do some freelance writing on the side. I, I just, I think differently. And, you know, my way of living has just be re, has been re, reprogrammed, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, the, uh, it's awesome. Just... Did you get anything in that cluttered mess of an explanation? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's all, it's all cool to hear. Just the evolution and um, how all this has influenced you and pretty much, uh, yeah, just coping with failure and obviously like helping to relieve stress and learning all these different things and living in the moment, like you said, your surroundings, like just seeing that, like seeing everything in a more creative way and that just seeing how that uh, has helped you grow and, and, and um, helped write your stories and just, yeah, and uh, made you into the pat you are now. I have one, one little good story that I like telling people because um, going on this journey of becoming a writer, moving to Spain, leaving my engineering job behind, um, like again, like, like a lot of people on the East Coast of the United States can't comprehend other ways of living. There are other styles of living, you know, beyond, you know, working a nine to five job, making a lot of money, you know? <clears throat> so, so like I was in Santander, having an ice cream. Oh, sorry, something in my throat. <clears throat> I was having ice cream on a Friday night. Uh, yeah. yeah and I, story. It looked delicious. Yeah, yeah. I posted on my story. <laughs> and you know, I love the ice cream. I love the beach. So I wanted to share this with my followers, this great moment. So I took a little, a little picture uh, on my Instagram story of my ice cream and the beach behind it uh, on a Friday night. Oh, um, follow Patrick Johns writes on Instagram. Boom! <laughs> on Instagram <laughs> on a beautiful summer night. And yeah, I got a DM from a colleague from university. And this colleague wrote to me, be like, hey man, do you know that by not working your engineering job, you're missing out on this percentage of you know the company contributing to your 401k? And then you know, missing hey. out on this amount of money to contribute to your 401k. That's that's $50,000 that you're missing out on just by not working on your, on your, uh, just by not working your engineering job, grimacing emoji. Like, what are you, what are you doing emoji? You're like, like cringe, kind of emoji. Cringe. And I was just like, first off, what is wrong with having ice cream on a Friday evening? Absolutely nothing. Second off, like it's just yeah, comments do. like that. Comments like that, that make me, that remind myself that I made the right choice because it's just that's that's not the kind of life I want to live and like he is trying to this person was trying to you know make me feel bad because he feels bad about his situation he sees me living a different lifestyle and he thinks you know I'm you know and he wants that but he's trying to make me feel bad because he doesn't have the guts to go out and achieve that lifestyle for himself. I know. Don't let those people like those aren't stokers, man. Don't let those people kill their <laughs> lives. Totally not cool. Those aren't stokers at all. And yeah, I've received a lot of those comments too. It's just uh, moving abroad. Just a lot of people reaching out to me and being like, dude, like, what are you doing? Ew, you know, like, proving the haters married. <laughs> You're missing out on marriage and family and a stable life and all this money and this and that. I'm like, let me live my life. Yeah, like, dude, I'm just trying to have a, a chocolate ice cream cone right now. Like, oh, what? Like, what's all this? What, you got a wedgie or something? 
Chocolate and vanilla. Chocolate and vanilla. Never, oh, yeah. never just one. You got that Always one. Yeah, didn't you? The hell yeah! I need the twist. I need the oh, something yeah, better than a good old twist. <laughs> well, I'm excited to eat some more ice cream cones with you this summer. <laughs> Let's go, skip dip. It's always Vinny's, Vinny's <laughs> vibe too. You know, you, you probably sense that as I just said it. <laughs> Shout out to Skipper Dipper. <laughs> skip, skip. <laughs> Shooter. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, guys. But this has been uh, quite the interview. I'm pumped. And just uh, reiterate, Lost Soul comes out June 1st. Available. Amazon. Amazon. Yes. And follow Patrick Johns Rice for more website, patrickjohnsrice.com. Go follow all the social channels. Yeah, he's doing uh, great things and pumped to have him here. And a surprise, we will end this episode with a nice Stoke shout out of the week where we pretty much just tell us what's gotten us fired up this past week. And it doesn't have to be a person, anything, inanimate objects, feelings. So, yeah, um, Pat, you want to start? Get us going? Yeah, sure. Um, so my, my Stokes shout out goes to little Jose Manuel, this little five-year-old boy. A little backstory. So, you know, I work at a school here in Spain. And I teach English. And on Thursday when I left my school, there was a, a, a guy dressed in, you know, beehive uniform. I don't know what to call it. A beehive guy. A bee boy? No, I guess a, a, a bee man. A man of bee. A bee man. It's bee man. Yo, bee man. Beekeeper, bee man. He was, um, this poor soul got put to the task of um, taking down this beehive that formed right, right across the street of the school. And as I was leaving school, I just see these clouds of bees surrounding this bee man. And this police officer just standing like 20 feet back, arms crossed. And I just like stand there watching this like event happen. And I tell the officer like, oh, be careful, be careful. And he just looked at me, he's like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was just like watching this bee cloud. And then the next day, Friday, um, I have my kindergarten class. And, you know, Jose Manuel, he's just a very cute kid, very quiet. And it's usually the quiet kids who, who bond with me the most, you know, because they're the ones that probably go home to mom and dad be like oh my god patrick did this and said this and this and this and this and this and this yeah. and really like we didn't, didn't even talk the whole time yeah so like i was really honored when this happened so i was in kindergarten class and i had the main teacher uh juana she was in the class with me and she's always there with me she's always the main teacher and i'm like the assistant and all of a sudden like little jose manuel comes like sprinting over to me i've never seen this kid sprint ever and he comes sprinting over me. He's like in Spanish. He's like, Patrick, Patrick, Patrick. There's, there's, uh, there's, there's something over there. I was like, what, what, what are you saying, Jose Manuel? Like, repeat, repeat. Um, and he was like, Patrick, Patrick. There's, there's, there's a bee over there. And like, I just like freaked out because of like yesterday seeing the beehive. I was like, oh, oh, I'm like Jose Manuel, get behind me, get behind me, Jose Manuel. And I took his hand. And I was like, okay, let's go, to, let's, let's go check it out. Let's go check it out. So like together, and I, and I was just honored that Jose Manuel chose me. Like he could have ran up to the teacher. Like, I don't speak the language. Like, you know, I'm not fluent. He chose the foreigner to protect him in this situation and not his like main kindergarten teacher. So I was honored that Jose Manuel chose me. Like, Patrick, Patrick, here's a B, here's a B. I was like, okay, cool, Jose Manuel, let's, let's go check it out. And like, we tip, tiptoeing over. 
And all of a sudden, I see something flying towards us. I'm like, whoa, whoa, Jose Manuel, get back, get back behind Jose Manuel. Like, whoa, oh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, because there's a beehive the other day. Like, I'm thinking maybe there are bees all over the school now. And then I, I, I get a closer look. I'm like, Okay, okay, Jose Manuel. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a mosca. It's a it's a fly. It's a fly, Jose Manuel. It's okay. He's like, oh, are you sure? Are you sure? It's like, yeah, it's a fly, Jose Manuel. Look, look, it just flew out of the classroom. And he's like, oh, oh, okay, okay. And he sat down, and I was just like, we 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 had a bonding moment that day. And I'm just very honored that Jose Manuel chose me to protect him. Uh, the, the guy who's probably most scared of bees. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, that's awesome. Shout out to Jose Manuel, baby. Let's go. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that was that big. Excellent. Stoke shout out. First one with a guest. So, what about, what about you? What's your Stoke shout out? I think for me, my Stoke shout out of the week is more of a, uh, I don't know, just like an experience or like a feeling. Well, not really. Yeah, just um, like when I'm working out or you're just getting the, that energy, energy pumping. Like I've never really done this before because when you, when you go to a gym, like you can't, like there's people around. So you can't really, uh, really let out that fire in you. But when you work out at home, there's no, more, no one around. I'm usually in the basement. And like recently, like the past few months, I've been getting into that, that state where I would just like be so fired up and I would, I'd be doing a, do it exercise and all of a sudden like when I can't do anymore like I just I just start to like rage and I don't know if you ever like you could you should try it sometime but like it's, it's like a rage I never like knew I could have like you would it's like, like yeah that's what it yeah that's what it feels like like you're just like I can't do anything all of a sudden like like when there's people around I'll like try and like scream internally but I'll just like throw out fist pumps and just like just like oh! I'll, literally, I'll literally be screaming at home like full on and just I don't like I never like had this emotion come out but like all like every workout I'll just like like try and get that rage and just like that energy and like that feeling and it's just like stoke on another level and you're just up to a degree that you feel like you're gonna explode and uh yeah no you one day you will that's what it feels like like I would literally be like let's and like I would scream like without screaming so I would feel like I was like about to burst and that that energy is is so unreal and uh yeah it's just it's like it's just like you're getting to the next level like you are literally becoming a a man of like you're going like out of body and like oh my god he's just he's just like flying right now like like what is what is this experience (laughs) I'm picturing you uh, getting into this routine of doing this and then going back to the gym for the first time and just, uh, <laughs> just being so used to doing it. After you do the bench press, you put the waist down. And, oh! <laughs> Some people do it too, but like, yeah, you just drop it on. You, <laughs> you just run around the whole gym. You're like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, I've actually been, because of the, the gym I go to because of COVID, um, no one no one goes so it's just me and like a really groovy song will come on like maybe like yeah by usher or something and i'll be like you know what i'm gonna start dancing yeah i start dancing yeah it's fun man you know, practice my dance moves and lift some weights and dance some more and do you know it's, it's i like it yeah yeah no it's uh just like i mean I, you can never really 
expressed a feeling of a, a nice scream, just like a full on, especially when you're driving a car, like on a, a, like when you're traveling, you're so close to your destination, you're so tired, you're just like, you're just like, yeah, you just like absolutely <laughs> let out one when you're solo in the car. And you're like, yo, can all these cars like hear me in the highway right now? Like, or like when the neighbors are like, yo, is he dying over there? <laughs> let me go, uh, yo, what are you doing in here? Oh, what? I'm just uh, doing some doing some chest. <laughs> like, uh, chill. No one's I'm going to try that now after my next YouTube yoga class. <laughs> yeah. After they say namaste, thank you for coming, namaste. Yeah. <laughs> you're like Goku or like, uh, what's that, Dragon Ball Z? And you're like, ah, ah, ah. oh my God, he's, he's what they call that? Like he's morphing? Or... Super Saiyan, man, Super Saiyan. He's going Super Saiyan. <laughs> no, Saiyan, no, Super Saiyan. Saiyan. Oh, Super, super Saiyan? <laughs> you never watched Dragon Ball Z? Oh my God. Oh, I thought it was Super Saiyan. Saiyan. <laughs> well, it does seem like they're going super insane but no saiyan saiyan super saiyan oh, damn. oh yeah well i watched a lot i just <laughs> I, was, I think other people didn't know it too because they would just call it super saiyan super saiyan oh i think they have like a new level now like i don't i, I gotta i gotta watch dragon ball z again like like in a new show they have like blue blue something blue blue super saiyan i don't know but it's like the next level i'm just wondering like what does it take to get to that level? <laughs> I know. Like, I feel like it could happen. Like, man, one of us is just gonna is gonna reach that level. <laughs> the boys, the boys are gonna be when the boys are together. We just gotta get someone to get to the next level and just like, like rip their rip, freaking like rip the shirt apart. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh. stoke shout out. Find that energy. Like, just maybe experience your your Goku and. Yeah. <laughs> Jose Manuel. Yeah, yeah. Shout out Jose Manuel. <laughs> the go. <laughs> Find that connection with uh, the people and just yeah, just the positive vibes are are flowing right now. And uh yeah, guys, as always, always keep the stoke alive, Pat. This was quite quite the journey. Great interviews, deep insight into the into the author mind and the musician and the world traveler. And uh, yeah, Lost Soul, available on Amazon June 1st. Get your copy. Actually, can you pre-order? Yeah, you can pre-order right now. Only the ebook. Only the ebook. We got pre-order it, pre-order it, buy it, read it, spread it around. Do it all. <laughs> Eat it, feed it, date it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> okay, yeah, guys. Thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I'm honored to be a part of the Swallometer. Oh yeah, Pat. Thanks for being on. It was it was awesome, brother Pat. We'll uh, I'll see you soon. Yeah, and uh, guys, thanks for listening. As always, actually, yeah, I already said it, but I'll say it again. Keep the stoke alive. Peace out, and stay frosty.